Our scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. We're actually, this is, the, this is our last series, or our last sermon in our brief series on the parables. And so we're going to do a double feature today. We're going to do two parables. Um, and the reason that we're doing two is because these two parables are both very short. Um, and they occur uh, wherever they occur in the Gospels, and they appear in multiple Gospels, they appear together. Um, and so it seems important to hold them together. Luke chapter 13, we'll be reading verses 18 through 21, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. And as we prepare to read God's word, let's come before him in prayer. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about you and what it teaches us about ourselves. We thank you for the way that it shows us how to serve you with joy and thanksgiving out of gratitude for everything that you have done for us. And we pray, O Lord, that as we turn now to the word of your gospel, according to Luke, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds, and to open our hearts to everything that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched on its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have before us today two very short parables about little things that have a big effect. A mustard seed and some yeast. Two things which are so small but have powerful effects that betray their size. And to get into these parables, I'm actually going to be asking you guys some questions um, because they're relevant. And so the first question that I have to ask is who bakes? A few people, a few people bake. I don't, 
I don't love baking. I do love cooking. I love like throwing things together and playing with flavors and textures and, and making stuff to eat. But baking requires such precision that I tend not to be very good at it. I did bake a loaf of bread once uh, about two, three years ago. Um, and it turned out okay, but it went bad after like two hours. Uh, because it doesn't have preservatives, right? So I, I don't know how to do that right. Maybe someone will have to teach me. But I was kind of amazed. I kind of did it as a biblical experiment. Um, and I was amazed at how, you know, the, those little grains of yeast work their way through the entire batch of dough and make it grow and grow and grow and grow. In the ancient world, you couldn't go to the supermarket and buy a packet of yeast in the store. And so actually the Greek word here is the word for leaven. And leaven is uh, dough that has yeast already worked into it. And the way that people in the ancient world kept yeast alive was basically by just keeping a little bit of raw dough in their cupboard. And when it was time to cook, they'd make a big batch and they'd, they'd mix it all together and they'd mix in that little piece of dough. And that little piece of dough would work its way, the, the yeast that was in that little piece of dough would work its way through the whole batch of dough. It's kind of like um, sourdough bread. Has anybody cooked sourdough bread? Yeah, you've cooked sourdough bread. And sourdough bread, how, how, does, how does that work? Explain to me how that works. How do you make sourdough, what is it called? The, the starter, yeah, how do you make the starter? You take, you take some milk and flour and mix it together, and then what do you do? You just leave it. And what happens? It grows. And you know how it grows? There's just natural bacteria and pathogens in the air that make their way <laughs> into the dough and live there. And yeah, I, I remember reading once about how to start a batch of sourdough starter, and it was, you just mix milk and flour, and you just leave it on the counter until it literally starts bubbling. <laughs> and it's delicious. This is kind of how, uh, this is kind of how it worked in the ancient world. You just leave it out until it started fermenting, and then, you, then it was ready to use, and it would cause the bread to rise and make a baked loaf. But this is why there's, there's a bit of a danger with that, because if you leave it too long, then dangerous pathogens can start to take over. And it can get diseased, and it can, it can become dangerous to eat. And so this is why in the Old Testament you have all of these passages. You have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so once a year, Jews, the, the Jewish people, they would, they would go through their entire house and clean their entire house and get rid of all their leaven and just eat unleavened bread, hardtack, for a week. 
And that serves the religious purpose of being ready to celebrate the Passover, but it kind of also serves the practical purpose of not keeping your sourdough starter around too long so that it gets too sour. So that's the yeast. The other one is the mustard seed. And so the second question is, who here gardens? I, I garden, I enjoy gardening. Um, has anyone ever grown mustard in their garden? Nobody. I grew mustard in my garden once. Again, about uh, probably about two years ago, I think. And again, sort of as a biblical experiment, just to see how amazing it is that this great big plant comes out of this little seed. And I was actually rather disappointed because the seeds were the seeds were small, but not like tiny. They, they were a little bit bigger than like. A, a grain of yeast, I guess. They were about, they were about two, two millimeters and just round. And I planted these in my garden and they grew into mustard plants and they were about two feet tall and just not something bird worthy. But one thing that I learned on my recent trip to the Middle East is that Middle Eastern mustard is very different than Canadian mustard. Um, and so I actually have a picture, which I think is here. That's it. So this is Pastor Dave Tigelar from First CRC in Guelph. And if you know him, he's about six feet tall. And that next to him with the yellow flowers is a mustard plant. So mustard plants in the Middle East, they grow to be eight, nine, ten feet tall. They, and their seeds are much smaller than the mustard seeds here. They're, they're like, we, we pulled out pods and like broke them apart and it's like dust. It's just, there's, there's nothing to the seeds. And so they grow from literally dust into these nine foot tall plants. And it grows totally wild, and it grows just everywhere. It's just all over the place. It just kind of takes over the landscape. It, you know, is still not something we'd expect a bird to build a nest in, but that's because Jesus is using exaggeration here. But that gives you a little bit of a better sense of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the mustard, the mustard plant. And, and I mean, it's, it's a big plant, bigger than what we know as mustard. But the point of the parable is not that the plant is big. The point of the parable is that the plant is a mustard plant. And this would have made any gardener in Jesus' time more than a little bit nervous. Because you don't plant mustard in your garden. Have any of you gardeners grown mint? What happens when you grow mint? Nancy? It takes over. It takes over. 
my mom grows mint. And she, I, I warned her that mint kind of takes over. And she thought that if she just planted it in a bed all by itself next to the garage, that she could just let the mint take over that bed. And it did. But keeping it in that bed is a task that she has to work at constantly. Because mint plants, for those of you who don't know, mint plants grow these, these like rope-like roots that just travel and travel and travel. I had a friend who tried to avoid the mint taking over your whole garden problem by planting his mint in a pot. And he put the pot in his garden. And at the end of the year, he went to take the pot into his house to see if the mint would survive the winter. And he couldn't lift the pot up. And finally, it, finally, what he ended up doing was, was lifting the pot so with such force that it pulled the entire mint plant out through the bottom of the pot because the roots of the mint plant had grown through the little drainage hole in the bottom of the pot and taken over the garden. When I was living in Grand Rapids, I lived in a little apartment building that was surrounded by concrete and asphalt. And even there, there was a little corner of the parking lot where, the, where mint had chewed through the asphalt. And there was a little bed of mint growing in the corner of the parking lot. It, it is an incredible plant. It grows wild. It takes over. Pastor Amanda once told me a story about a friend of hers who grew mint in his garden, and it ended up taking over his whole lawn, so that now when he mows his lawn, the entire neighborhood smells like peppermint. And that is what Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like. It's like an infestation. It's like an epidemic. It's like an invasive species, almost like an infection that just takes over. This might not seem like the most flattering description of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a bacteria. The kingdom of God is like a weed that takes over your lawn. It's not flattering, but it is effective. The kingdom of God is invasive. It takes over. It's a gospel infestation. This morning we looked at how the whole creation is an outpouring of the love of God, the creative love of the Trinity, and that we were created to participate in that creative love. And these parables kind of carry through that theme. The whole scripture, in fact, points to the big story of what God is doing with his fallen creation. And that is that God is restoring the creation to everything that he intended for it to be. God is about the work of new creation. That's what Jesus means in the New Testament when he talks about the kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God is the new creation breaking into this world. The kingdom of God is the age to come breaking into this present age. And that happens in the person of Jesus Christ. The new creation breaks into the fallen world marked by sin and death and begins to repair the damage done by the fall. And this is what we see in Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life. He walks around restoring what is broken. He heals the sick. He restores those who are cast out of society. He casts out demons. He lifts up the poor. He raises the dead. All of this is the work of new creation. And this is why the New Testament uses so much creation imagery. Light appearing in the darkness, springs of living water, trees growing tall and strong, birds being cared for by God, weeds taking over a garden. What these two parables teach us is that the new creation is inevitable. It's like yeast in dough. It's like mint in a garden. The work of new creation is God's work. We don't have to do much for it to happen. We don't have to do anything at all for it to happen. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. There isn't anything we have to do. But there is much that we get to do. The gospel will spread on its own without our help because the spirit of God is powerful. But God invites us into that work. Like the man who plants mustard in his garden. Like the woman who kneads leaven into 60 pounds of dough. God invites us into his work in our everyday lives by God's grace. Our work contributes to the new creation. And that's another part of what these parables invite us into as well. Because gardening and kneading dough, these are pretty basic everyday household chores for people in ancient Israel. And Jesus invites us to see the kingdom of God in these mundane, everyday tasks. These actually, both of these, are actually probably the work that the elderly would do. Because a young man wouldn't garden, he would work the field. A young woman wouldn't knead dough. She would work the loom or grind the flour. This is the work of people who feel that their work is kind of pointless, kind of boring, that it doesn't really contribute much to society. But Jesus invites us to see the kingdom of God at work in these everyday tasks. I've often wondered why Paul says 
There, there's kind of two things that Paul says about work in his letters that are related but enhance each other. The first thing that he says is, in everything you do, work at it as though you were working for the Lord and not for men. But there's another place where he says, in everything you do, work at it with all your might because you are working for the Lord. Sometimes it's difficult for us to see how Sunday connects with the rest of the week. How is God's kingdom helped by pouring concrete, by plowing snow, by balancing books or harvesting soybeans or typing reports? But Paul tells us that it is. That our everyday work through the week contributes to the kingdom of God because God uses it to show his grace and to further his kingdom. As Christians, God works through us so that everything that we do contributes to his coming kingdom in a unique way. And that, I think, is a pretty exciting promise, an exciting invitation. There's a story about Martin Luther, the great reformer. Martin Luther was known for kind of saying off-the-wall things, but there's one story where one of his students asks him, Dr. Luther, if you knew that Christ was coming back tomorrow, what would you do? And Martin Luther said, I'd plant a tree. Because that tree would become part of the new creation. The gospel spreads like mint in a garden, like yeast through dough. Things that work apart from our effort. Things that just happen. But God invites us to garden and to bake as we anticipate the coming of the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God and our King, we thank you for the gift of your gospel, for the power that it holds to transform lives and the world. We thank you that the success of your gospel does not depend on our power because we are weak. But you are strong. And we know that because of the power that you hold, the gospel will not fail. 
We know and believe that everything that you say in Scripture is true. We trust you to bring about your promises. And yet, O oh Lord, in the midst of all this, all of this that seems so much bigger than us, you invite us to work alongside you toward the kingdom of God in our life, in our worship, even in our work. We thank you, O Lord our God, that you have blessed us with such a gift as this, that we can garden and bake and plow snow and balance spreadsheets to your glory. Amen.